You're listening to a podcast from 702. For this hour, we invite you to just escape to something entirely different. Um, so for today's masterclass, we're actually going to give you a guide for beginners when it comes to bird watching. And the lines are also open to you. If you're more experienced, you know, you want to share your love and your insights. Maybe you have specific questions for our guests when it comes to bird watching. Um, so that's what we'll be devoting today's masterclass uh, to. I'm completely new to this, even though I do have a bird feeder and garden is full of birds. Um, and uh, bird watching, though, never never paused never paused to quite study who comes into the garden or what comes into the garden um as part of bird life but uh, so this will be a little bit of an odyssey um and an education about bird watching the lines always open to you on 011-883-0702 and uh, 31702 for your sms's your whatsapps and your voice notes on 070 0727021702 so um let's get this masterclass on bird watching and the niche tourism market of um, AV tourism that's traveling for the purposes of viewing birds in their natural habitats. 702 Masterclass. And so guiding us for this masterclass, we have Mark Anderson, the CEO of BirdLife SA. Um, good afternoon, Mark. Hi, Zonia. Yes, welcome to the masterclass. Um, no. bird, bird watching. We do all sorts of topics or, you know, all sorts of uh, ideas get explored on the masterclass. This is a first. Yes, and I'm excited to talk to you, Zonia. Yeah. <laughs> so first, let's look at um, just the the bird life that South Africa has to offer. We know when it comes to biodiversity, we're, we're one of the world's leaders, which is naturally so well in, well endowed. We've got a great heritage. Um, but when it comes to bird life, how do we? Uh, um, what do we have? We have an incredible diversity of birds. So we have about 870 species sure. in South Africa. Um, of the world's more than 10,000, it's always debatable exactly how many we have. So more than 8% of the world's birds that can be seen um, in our country. So quite remarkable. That is 8%. Sure. Um, and so when, when, when it comes to bird watching, wh- how would you describe it, Mark, as to what it is? Well, it's interesting because there's different variations of birders, if we call it. Some are, you know, absolutely, you know, obsessed with bird watching, and we, you know, call some of them twitchers. They, they do their best to see, you know, new birds, and they mark them off on their list. And there's others who prefer to study birds or to collect data about birds. But you know, birds open one's eyes to the environment, and you can look out your window. Doesn't matter if you're in Bramfontein or your home. Um, in any suburb in, in in South Africa, there will be birds flying past. In the mornings, birds will be calling. So, it is such a they're such a nice group of animals to you know, introduce oneself to the natural world. Yes, and they're already close to us. They're within the environment, the same environment we occupy. So, uh, quite accessible. So, we see binoculars used all the time. What equipment do we need? Well, a pair of binoculars is is useful, and you know they're not all expensive, you know, obviously the better one, the binoculars one can afford, you know, certainly going to stand one in better stead, but you can get, you know, reasonably um, cheap binoculars, but binoculars is a good start. In fact, you probably could even start bird watching without binoculars if you have a feeder in your garden, as you've said, mm-hmm. but uh, binoculars and a, and a bird field guide is important, and we, you know, we're really blessed in our country to have some really good field guides. There's the Sassel Guide, the Newman's Guide, the Roberts Guides. We have lots of books. They're available at all bookstores. 
And I think that's really the start. And I always tell people a, a notebook and a you know, pencil as well is useful. So if you see something, you can't identify it, and you can just jot down a couple of the features of the bird that you're observing, and you can you know, try and identify it later, or maybe even ask somebody who's more experienced to help you identify it. Oh, never expected that. Okay. Uh, so it's not that expensive. It's not one, like an, uh, prohibitively, like people can't access this particular interest or hobby. It's accessible. No, and it's, it's, um, it's certainly cheaper than golf and mountain biking. <laughs> so, but the nice thing about it is, you know, you can bird watch wherever you are. And, you know, you could be traveling internationally. You know, you could be sitting on a car train. You could be sitting on a bus and you could be watching birds and you could be, you know, sitting on your veranda, looking out your window, and you could be be watching birds. And some of the binoculars these days are, um, you know, quite compact. I have, a, I have a small compact pair of binoculars, and when I travel internationally, mm. they go along with me. Everywhere I go, I have my binoculars with me. So, you know, to, to lug a, a golf bag or a, a bicycle around is a bit more tricky, but certainly mm-hmm. not to take the basic equipment you need for bird watching. Yes, you can do it anywhere, ev- anywhere and everywhere. Okay, um, so... This is the list of uh, things or equipment or books that you can have with you as you start on your journey. But how does one start? What would you um, suggest as a starting point? So, Vanya, you know, start in one's garden, I think, is a good place. Mm-hmm. And just put out a feeder. You know, winter is a good place to feed birds because they're hungry because there's not much much natural food around for them, and also have a you know a, a drinking place for them. Um, and those one can construct oneself, or you you know you can buy them from a from a nursery. And then just um, start looking at the birds and starting to identify them, and and don't get um, you know frightened away because some of the birds are you know brown and small and relatively <laughs> unidentifiable. A lot of them are you know easy, relatively easy to identify. The other thing is, is, you know, there are so many bird watchers around that one should actually try and spend time with a fellow bird watcher in the field. That is always a useful thing to do, particularly when one's starting um, to watch birds. And then in South Africa, we, you know, we have a large number of bird clubs. We have, I think, 41 now that are affiliated to BirdLife South Africa. Mm-hmm. And our, these affiliated bird clubs, they're scattered around the country. They're very active programs. So most of them have month, monthly lectures. They have workshops on identifying raptors, for example, they have um, regular um, field outings, birdwatching outings on weekends. And in fact, some of them have um, more than one outing a week. So, And all the bird clubs are listed on BirdLife South Africa's website, all the affiliated clubs. So joining a bird club is also a good start. Mm, right, let's take a listen to this voice note, Mark. Um, uh, you can send us your texts and your voice notes on 72 702 Hi, I'm so pleased you're doing this masterclass. I'm an absolutely fanatical bird watcher. I don't dash off to different places to tick off a special species. I watch everything. So whatever in my garden, whatever is in the local park, in the Kruger Park, in the Pilansburg, wherever I go. And the thing about birding is there's always something to do no matter where you are, which is just fantastic. And now in the current times of such turmoil, um, I went to Walter Sisulu yesterday and saw the amazing black eagles and wow. it just reminded me that no matter what's going on in the world, the birds carry on. Um, they just carry, carry on with their lives. And it's such a salutary <laughs> lesson. It's such a stress release. I mean, birding has saved my life during this lockdown. I mean, I've always been a birder, but especially during the lockdown, it's just saved me. My name is Fern and I'm in Randburg. 
Thanks a lot, Fern. Um, during COVID, well, when I was diagnosed with uh, COVID-19, um, you know, you have to make time to go outside, you know, don't stay just cooped up. You have to go out and have, get some sun. And I do have some bird feeders in the garden in two particular spots. And there was one spot where I just started observing the birds that were coming in um, and how they kind of took turns and, you know, you kind of figure out how they even relate to each other, um, where some preferred to start their approach because some were a little bit more cautious than those, than the more confident ones. So you can really get lost in it. You can really just meander through this whole experience, get lost and swept away in it. And it seems quite relaxing. So uh, thank you for, for that voice note. But uh, Mark, if we just come back to a few things, I want to stay with the point about the, 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 the nondescript birds, the little birds that we often see uh, in our environment, especially in the city. What about those, um, what you call the LBJs? So why are they yeah. nondescript birds? Um, well, yeah, an LBJ is little brown job. <laughs> and mm. unfortunately, in the winter months, even some of the birds, the widers and the bishops and the weavers, um, become LBJs. So they're not, some of them are beautifully colorful and some of them have long tails and they have you know, beautiful displays in the summer months when they're breeding and they, many of them become nondescript in, in winter. But one mustn't be put off by those nondescript birds because, you know, they can always come later. You know, get on top of the, the more obvious birds, the ones that are, you know, colorful throughout the year and that have, you know, distinguishing features. So you know, sometimes people think that you know, it's such a daunting task and I'm going to throw in the towel now. Don't throw in the towel because the, the LBJs um, can come later. And the LBJs, many of them you know, may seem difficult, but actually with time one learns that they're actually not that difficult. The larks, for example, you know, we've got an incredible diversity of larks, particularly in the dry western parts of, of South Africa. Mm. And they all have very characteristic calls. So, you know, you don't, and the cysticulars as well, which are also classified as LBJs. So, you know, one can... You know, identify them based on their, and their calls. We've just met a couple of, a, an hour ago. We're actually in northern KwaZulu Natal at the moment, and they, um, an elderly couple, and they've been just started bird watching, and they've seen almost 500 species. Uh -huh. I think a lot of the LBJs will be new to them, and the next few days that I'm going to be with them, I hope to point out and help them identify some of these birds. But they're quite happy with the fact that they've they've sorted out the you know the, the colourful birds, and now they're moving on because they, <laughs> they want to see as many South Africa's birds as possible. Yes, so these brown ones, we just lump them all together, but it's possible with time to be able to distinguish between them. That's right. Yes, and, it, it, and also you know, joining a bird club, the bird clubs do focus on the you know the difficult to identify groups of birds, the, mm -hmm. you know, the larks, the cysticulars, the the waders, and even even the raptors. And you know they hold workshops, and there are experts um, that, that will help with the, the identification. And I have to say, Azania, before I forget, we've got the African, the virtual African Bird Fair next weekend, thirtieth mm -hmm. and thirty-first of July, and there's actually a, a, a workshop at nine o'clock on Saturday morning by Lance Robinson. He's the president of the Witz Bird Club, the Witzfront Bird Club. And he's giving a talk, or uh, presenting a workshop on birding basics. Mm -hmm. And you know that would be a great, uh, you know. Time, opportunity for people to start to learn from somebody like Lance, who's one of South Africa's top birders. Yes, yes. We'll give those details out at the end and we'll talk a little bit more about that. Uh, let's go to Balisa and Lanesia. Hi, Balisa. Hi, Azania. Good afternoon. Good afternoon. 
right, Avenia, I am a healer. Yes. And ever since I've uh, acknowledged my spiritual journey, I found that I am attracted to beds, mm-hmm. and beds are also attracted to me. Mm. So in my yard where I stay, I have a bed feed. I also have a water station for them. And to my surprise, since the past three years, I've been seeing a whole lot of beautiful beds that I wasn't even aware mm. that we have in South Africa. You know, like your barbers, your African hoopoos, your wood hoopoos. You know, I've even had a parrot come visit my water station. <laughs> so, yeah, so I've, I've, I'm, I'm, I've fallen in love with beds. Every time I see a new bed, it's either I take a picture or if I don't have my phone with me, I just look at the bed, the description, and then go search it. I even have uh, identifying apps on my phone. Mm-hmm. To identify the different types of beds that I see everywhere that I am. Yes, yes. Oh, that connection. It is a wonderful experience. It is a wonderful experience because I've learned a lot. I mm-hmm. even know now what other types of beds eat, and I can even put out different seeds for all the beds. Oh, right. To cater yeah. for their specific needs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wow, they, know, they, they, they even know the time that I put out the food outside. <laughs> if I'm five minutes late, I see them standing on the waiting. <laughs> waiting. Where, where is this? Where is she? Where is she? Yeah, you know. yeah it can so be quite demanding. Yeah, actually, we get, we are going to talk about having a bird feed or feeding birds. Um, and you raise, as you raise that point, we'll get to it. Um, the do's and don'ts around that. But it's a great call. Thank you so much. Thank you, Azania. Wonderful. That's Balisan Linesia. Mark, we'll come back to this issue. We've got to take a break. And you can also, of course, reflect on the call and we'll, we'll take your thoughts after that. That's the CEO at BirdLife SA, Mark Anderson. Masterclass. The CEO of uh, BirdLife SA, Mark Anderson, is our guest this afternoon as we bring you a masterclass on bird watching. We've had some interesting feedback, absolutely lovely feedback. Um, maybe you've traveled out and you have been part of this very niche tourism market that's called AV tourism. Where do you travel to for your bird watching? Uh, or, uh, maybe you enjoy bird watching right here in the city. And so far, uh, we've heard about just the wealth of bird life in and around our cities that can get us started in bird watching. So, Mark, a really lovely call from, uh, Balisa, um, earlier on. Just some of your reflections on it because, uh, what, one of the things or the curiosities that um, we've had is around uh, feeding birds. That's right. And I, I just love those two calls that you've received, uh, Zani. <laughs> and it, it's so encouraging to hear that people are watching birds in the garden or what's Sealy National Botanical Garden. And before I talk about the bird feeding uh, in Gowan's Garden, I just have to mention that we have also have a community bird guides. Bird Life South Africa has trained over 200 community bird guides, many of them actively guiding around the country. The mm-hmm. details are on our website, and that's another way to you know to learn about birds is to go out with these, these chaps and, and ladies. They have a wealth of knowledge. I um, really encourage people to make use of them. They're you know, scattered across the country, particularly in the eastern parts of the country, and they're all brilliant. Mm. But when it comes to feeding birds, um, it's something that a lot of people do, and in fact, you know, we encourage it. We it's, okay. We support feeding one's birds in, in one's garden because um, it's a way to be able to draw them closer to oneself and also to be able to watch them from close quarters. Mm-hmm. Uh, any specifics around what to feed them? Yeah, so, so, you know, rule one is, of course, you know, it's better to, for them to feed on natural food. So one doesn't only have to provide food, but one can grow indigenous plants. And there's a, you know, there's a number of indigenous nurseries in, in and around South Africa and that's what I suggest. Always, you know, indigenous plants uh, is the, you know, the first thing to do. 
And then also, you know, poisons are an absolute no-no. You know, one doesn't want to use poisons in the garden. Some of the poisons are very toxic to, to all wildlife, you know, whether mm. insects or, or birds. So one has to be careful about that. And, uh, you know, gardens that, you know, aren't really well-maintained are better. You know, so you want to leave leaf litter in, the, in your flower beds. So things like uh, thrushes can go scratch around and find, find insects. And then, ah. of course, uh, the things... So, wait, hold on, Mark. You're saying, uh, like now, of course, it's winter, there's lots of fallen leaves, so you're saying just a layer, uh, the birds absolutely enjoy that. They will scratch around amongst it, they'll find insects, and mm-hmm. of course it has the added value of you know, mulching, and mm-hmm. then also, you know, you get less evaporation of water from the soil. Yeah. So, yeah, the leaf litter is, is very important. Mm. Only the, the three things that birds need in a garden is food, um, shelter and water. Now, shelter is really provided through you know, dense plants. So, you know, you have a corner of your garden, you say, we're not going to prune too much there, we're going to let mm. you know, the plants develop, and then the birds can go nest there or roost there at night. And the next few nights in Hatang are going to be very cold, and I think that's where all the birds will be hiding. But in terms of food, there's a lot that one can provide. Um, you know, bird seed, um, wild bird seed is very important. You can provide fruit, um, mealworms, um, suet is very good uh, to provide in, in the winter months in particular. Mm-hmm. And um, all of these, the bird food these days is available from you know, most nurseries, most yeah. hardware stores. So it's mm-hmm. really available. If you go and look, there's shelves of, of foods, uh, different foods available in the nurseries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It is quite easily uh, accessible. And you buy a big bag and it can last for quite a while. It can last for quite a while. An interesting point that you raised there about the shelter um, because, you know, we we see some of the worst kind of tree felling. I call it tree amputation, you know, the way some people uh, uh, kind of trim or, or cut back on, on the trees is just so hard to see and look at because it looks like the tree's been amputated. So there is that added benefit because it provides shelter for um, for the birds. So maybe also get someone who's skilled and who knows how to find a balance between exactly. the maintaining the shelter, preserving the shelter, um, and uh, of course, just neatening up or, or uh, uh, ma- managing the growth of of that tree. That's right. And you, um, you know, there's there's a variety of books on, as well available for South Africa on how one can attract birds to mm-hmm. to a garden. The other thing one can do, um, Zania, is also provide a sisal nesting log, and these right. are also available at nurseries. And I can tell you now, if you if you hang a sisal log from a vertical branch in your garden, preferably on the southern side of a tree mm-hmm. and away from lots of human activity and away from a horizontal branch where you know, a cat can't get sit and, right. and pest of the birds. They, the barbets will be there, the black-colored barbets and the crested barbets. They will literally almost certainly um, make use of it um, in the first year. So mm-hmm. there's also there's various owl boxes that one can put up as well. Yeah. There's a company in Johannesburg called Eco Solutions. They provide nest boxes for both barn owls and spotted eagle owls. Mm-hmm. One will be surprised by how many owls are nesting in and around Gauteng in, in the mm-hmm. urban environment. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and we know we have a rodent problem, <laughs> so uh, those come in quite handy. <laughs> yeah. We'll chat about cats. I just want to take this call before headlines. Uh, Nico, hi. Hi, hi, Azani. How are you? I'm good. I'm Welcome, Monday. Nico. Good, good. I just want to find out from Monday. Are the offices still open in, uh, what is this place? Hyde Park or something, you know? Tell you with bed life. Your offices, Mark? You were saying in yes. Hyde Park, Nico? 
Yes, I am. Not far from Hyde Park, yeah. Mm-hmm. Not, not, not far from Hyde Park, that's right. I head office is there. Yeah, that's nice. Corner yeah. of the Unsmart's numerator. Close to the moment. Yeah, great stuff, Azani. Uh, because you have a lot of veggie in my garden, you know? Hmm. Hello, uh, you know, I don't even need alum anymore. They <laughs> 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 wake you up. <laughs> yeah, they wake me up, you know, and my grandson loves them, you know. Mm. So I've been telling him about bed life in, uh, you know, the right office that one day I'll take him there, you know. Yes, yes. But, uh, Mike has now revived the spirit, you know, that, uh, you know. You need to take your grandson. Mm. Yeah, I want to take my grandson there to bed. I know their office is there. I just wanted to find out. If they're still there. Open, you know. Yeah. yeah and I you're in. Mother, you know, I'll take him. I'll take my son there. Mm-hmm. So you're in Orlando? Yeah, in Orlando. Yeah. West or East? Uh, east, east. Okay, East. All right. Yeah. And as you say, you have uh, a wonderful bird life there too. Uh, yeah, great, great. Wonderful. Thank yeah. you so much, Ntateniko. Thank you for your call. Yeah. Right. That is um, a call from Tateniko from Orlando. And let's take the, the latest in eyewitness news. Then we'll come back to our masterclass with Mark Anderson, the CEO at BirdLife SA. Masterclass. And we're continuing with our masterclass on bird watching. Mark Anderson is our guest. He's the CEO at uh, BirdLife SA. Um, and it's been a sort of beginner's guide to bird watching and, of course, some interesting uh, observations from many of our listeners. Let's go to Fran, who's been holding through the headlines. Hello, Fran. Yes, hi. Uh, we were given a bird log. Mm. Our son and daughter-in-law for Christmas one time, and uh, we had a family of barbets, very noisy lot. <laughs> and uh, when they'd gone, the bees took over, and we had a beehive. Oh. So <laughs> we got one of these no-kill bee people to come and collect the already packaged bees, and they were quite happy to do so. <laughs> So the log uh, did a lot more for multi for multiple species. Thank you for the call, friend. Okay, thanks for the program. Bye, That's friend in Rosebank. Um, Mark, like we promised, let's talk about cats for a moment in families or homes that have cats. Encouraging bird life. How how do we balance this out? Unfortunately, I mean, cats do have an impact on birds, and some studies that have been done at the University of Cape Town have recently shown that. But, yeah, many of us love cats, and many of us keep cats. Mm. So what we do encourage people to do is you know, have your pet put a collar or the bell on your cat. Um, there's a kind of new innovation being used around the world, which we're going to be starting, we'll soon start selling through BirdLife South Africa, is a scrunchie, which is a colorful collar. And, uh, you know, it just makes the cat more obvious. So when it's about to pounce on a, on a bird, the bird will see it approaching and then can, can uh, you know, fly away and move off. So I think, you know, keeping cats indoors as much as possible, keeping mm-hmm. them well fed and the two, the two can live together. Yes, yes. <laughs> uh, we've got this one from Tessa. She says, living in a very built up and busy part of Mohali City, we were very surprised to hear an owl calling one night. Since then, we've heard them regularly. Our garden is dish cloth size. But because my husband is a good gardener, it uh, and um, is all it, it, the, the garden is always full of bird life. So it's not about expansive uh, 
gardens and expansive uh, properties, uh, it is possible to to be able to encourage birds or still enjoy bird watching even in smaller in smaller um, uh, spaces. That's right, Zonia. And you know, when let's just keep an ear open at night because there are owls about. Both spotted eagle owls and barn owls are mm. the, the, the common in and then, you know, what I tell people to do as well is keep a list of the birds you see in, in your garden. So yeah. keep the list, and the list will grow with time. What we did with our children when they were young, we had a list against the, you know, behind the kitchen door, which was not only the species they saw, but the months of the year in which they saw them. And then they would see that the migratory birds were absent during the winter months. Mm. And we could teach our children about map of the world out and and try and you know, get them to understand migration and where the birds go to and why they move as well. And it was really interesting to see the migratory birds present in the summer months and all of a sudden they were gone for a few months and then back the, you know, when, when it started warming up. So keeping a list is really um, a nice thing to do. Yes. One seed just expands with time as you see more and more birds in your garden. No, like I said, I'm not a birder, but I think I really have a great appreciation, um, especially when it comes to the movement and behavior of uh, migratory birds, just how these animals even at first attempt managed to navigate an entire hemisphere with such absolute precision, I think is just an incredible phenomena. So what kind of birds can we, uh, uh, on the move or, uh, you know, that we can always uh, look out for, the migratory birds in and around, um, let's say, Gauteng particularly? Yes, the ones that are obvious are the cuckoos. So the Deirdre cuckoo and the red-chested cuckoo, because they've got very characteristic calls, mm-hmm. you know, we start hearing them in the, in the summer once when they, they arrive. And then European bee-eaters as well. And they roost uh, in trees at night. And I, I know the few roost sites um, in and around Johannesburg. They will fly around and feed during the day and then descend on these trees to roost at night. And, of course, there's the barn swallow, which is very numerous. They own their millions. And they will roost communally in reed beds at night. So the number of birds declines during the winter months. Um, it increases during the summer months when all the, the migrants arrive. Some of the migratory birds go to the Paleartic, to you know, Europe and Asia. Others only go somewhere else into Africa. And um, there's some good examples of, of birds that only go into North Africa or even Central Africa. And those have been tracked lately as well to try and understand these movements. Oh, that's just, it's it's phenomenal. Let's get to some of the questions that have come in. Um, Dachawa wants to know, he says, when birds tweet in a group, are they in conversation, happy, or are they trying to mate? Uh, what What is, what's going on? Um, and he goes on to say that he loves doves. Thank you, Dachawa. So what, uh, can you tell us about some of the behavior, more notable behavior? So when birds are in a, in a small flock and they're moving around, they will have contact calls as well. So they've got to know that the you know, the birds in the group are still nearby and they, they'll be moving through the vegetation feeding. And they'll be continually making contact calls so they can communicate with each other. But of course, the, you know, the birds call in the morning as well, so which we call the dawn chorus, which is you know, very special, particularly in spring and the summer months. And it's you know, absolutely wonderful in the morning to wake up and hear that dawn chorus. Yeah. And those will be territorial birds mainly that are are advertising their territory, you know, telling other birds of the same species in the area that this territory is occupied. Don't <laughs> think about moving in here. There's, you know, somebody living here. And, of course, also then as they start breeding to try and attract a mate. And that's why birds, some birds develop very elaborate calls to even mimic other species as well because they're trying to you know, show that they're you know, better and cleverer than the, the bird next door and uh, they're hence more attractive to a mate. 
Right. Uh, there was a question about whether or not a recording of a bird is a good idea. Um, I think I'm capturing that uh, as, uh, yeah, there, there we go. It says, what does your guest feel about using a recording of a specific bird noise to attract that particular bird into your space? Yes, and that's um, a very controversial thing, Lasagna. It's called playbacks or callbacks. And, and we, you know, these days one can get these apps and recordings of birds and you can use them to, to call birds to you. And it's not something that's actually encouraged. In fact, it's something that's becoming more and more frowned upon, mm-hmm. and particularly in places that are well visited. So the, the camps in the Kruger National Park, you know, there's some owls that make use of these um, these camps, Kakuza, Pretoriscorp, and, and other camps. And people have just played these calls far too frequently, and it, and it disturbs the birds when they're breeding. They're thinking there's a... You know, there's another bird in their territory as well, and they've got to defend their territory, and they may leave the nest and stop incubating the eggs. So it is something that you know, is more and more frowned upon these days. And BirdLife South Africa has a position statement on birding ethics. And you know, we're saying if it's going to be used, it has to be used very little, if, if at all. And you know, I think the bird watchers in South Africa these days are making less and less use of um, playbacks. And what are some of the ethics um, that form part of your guidelines? Yeah, so, um, so obviously the calls is, is one thing as well. And one has to be sensitive to birds when they're breeding as mm. well. You don't want to disturb them when they're breeding. And of course, you know, trying to get closer to a bird, you may, you know, walk through the vegetation. It could be a wetland as well. One has to also be sensitive that, you know, there could be plants that are, you know, vulnerable to be damaged by, you know, your activities as well. So there's, you know, there's a number of things one needs to take into account. Birding in a group as well, you've got to keep quiet and, and take the, you know, and respect the, the the people in your group as well. So it's not a, an activity where one can make a lot of noise and uh, you know, play one's radio or, or so. And so you've got to you've got to be sensitive to to the people in your group. But if anybody's interested in the position statement and a number of other position statements mm-hmm. we have, they are available on our website. All right, let's take another break. My guest is Mark Anderson, CEO at BirdLife SA, and we'll be wrapping up the masterclass with some of the remaining questions and calls. 702 Masterclass. And we're back to conclude our Masterclass on Birdwatching this afternoon with Mark Anderson. Really insightful about the bird life in and around our cities. Next, we go to John in Craigo Park with a question. Hello, John. Hi, good afternoon. Yes, hi. Mark, my, my question is from the point of view of evolution or natural selection. What is the advantage to the Hadida from shouting quite so loudly? <laughs> I'm not sure how to answer that one. Why it has to shout so loud? It certainly disturbs our peace in the mornings. And um, in fact, I've, I've joked with Kareshi uh, Naidu, who used to work on, for 702 as well, that the name of the bird had changed to the Bubazella bird. <laughs> they are certainly yeah. really noisy. <laughs> oh, thank well, from you. The point of view, yeah, from the converse point of view, I, uh, I presume that those that shouted less loudly have died out. Mm. And if, if that's the case, then why? Mm, right. Something to, to think about. Thanks for the question, John. Um, so there, I knew the Hardy does will come up. So um, there's a question, Mark, about uh, toxicity. One says, absolutely love birds. Uh, but how true is it that pigeons, sparrows and starling dropping, uh, droplings are dangerous to humans? And another question also asked, uh, a similar question about are there any kind of vi- uh, diseases that birds carry that we should be concerned about? Well, I don't think the droppings are toxic to, to people. I've never heard that before. And 
you know, sometimes they, they mess in our verandas and our window ledges as well, and you know, those can be easily cleaned off. But there are animals that carry zoonotic diseases, diseases, diseases that can be transmitted from um, from animals to humans, and you know, COVID is one of them that's been suggested. But in South Africa, you know, we, we had avian flu that we were concerned about, but I'm not aware of any diseases that you know that we currently know about, certainly in our country, that are being transmitted from from birds. Uh, yeah. Right, because Stuart asks about uh, parakeets. He says that I feed birds twice a day and find at least a dozen rosy-faced parakeets visiting daily. Are they invasive and do they carry any disease? Uh, what about the invasiveness? Yeah, so I think it's, he's probably referring to rose-ring parakeets, which actually are found in the Sahel, so across the you know, northern parts of Africa, into India and Pakistan. They were introduced, yeah, and they've actually become really numerous, in fact, very numerous and I think that could become an agricultural pest one day. They, they're a very beautiful bird. And there's, of course, the rosy-faced lovebirds as well. The lovebirds are increasing in numbers as well in and around Gauteng. Alien birds, some of them, you know, we've got to live with, things like the house sparrow and the, um, the common miner, the Indian miner, and even the common starling in, in the Western Cape. But others, you know, I think have a, have a bigger impact. The mallard duck being one, which hybridizes with the yellow bull duck and, and a variety mm-hmm. of other waterfowl so those those can be a concern so you, do, you really don't want to bring something in to the area where it didn't occur um, historically or naturally yeah we've got gogon T- uh, tanzi calling us uh, good afternoon gogo good afternoon Azania. hello thank you for the call yes mm-hmm. i i wanted to share a, a experience of, uh, regarding bed guiding i used to work for an ngo and i was a program manager for this NGO, and we had a partnership with Bed Life, where we uh, identified young people in rural areas where you know uh, birds thrived. Kusuwe National Reserve in KwaZulu Natal, mm-hmm. Lowberg Mountain Range, mm-hmm. Nels Play Nature Reserve. We train young people to become bird guides, and it was such a fascinating experience taking you know young people into the bush. Uh, establishing them, and the, uh, there's a very interesting uh, story regarding the group in Susue. These young people have never been into the bush, and they actually got to learn that one of the forests there was actually a hiding place during the uh, Anglo. The, there was a war between yes, Anglo Boer War. Mm-hmm. Anglo Boer War, yes. That uh, women and children were were hidden in the forest. So, you know, this bed guiding opened up a whole new world to these young people. It was really, really such a privilege uh, to be able to, to be part of that project. Mm, yes, I think it takes us back to that earlier point about how it gives you access, a different kind of perspective and access into our environment. Thank you so much for that call. Absolutely. Yes. Mm-hmm. It's one of BirdLife South Africa's flagship projects. We've trained over 200 people that um, the lady was referring to. Yeah. And many of them are actively guiding today. And they've actually become ambassadors for nature and for conservation in the rural areas in which they work. And the details are on our website. And they're, well. they're scattered yeah. across the country, particularly in Limpopo, Mulonga and, and KwaZulu-Natal. Yes. Um, that we'll give out the details um, a little bit later and we'll also talk about the virtual African bird fair if we, uh, quickly uh, as we wrap later. A quick one from you, Richard. You want to respond to the earlier conversation about Hardy does? Yes. These people got doing Hardy does. I mean, 
they're wonderful little beasties. They aerate your lawn. Yeah. <laughs> they park in the trees outside here on, on my property. And if anybody moves here at night, they pick up a big you boat and then they wake, <laughs> they wake me up in the morning. They're wonderful beasties. Yeah, Richard, thank you. I enjoyed them too. My dog doesn't uh, as much, but I also enjoy them. Here are a few voice notes. You think about it. Thanks for the question. Hi, Zanya. I don't know if this is the right number. I'm trying to find out. Um, we've got has a swallow's nest, and the swallows kept been coming back every year. But part of the nest was broken, and they sort of came back, and then they left. Must we take that nest down and let them start again, or what must we do with it? Ah, all right. Mark, what should they do? I think I would leave the nest at least for one more season to see whether they, they, they repair it and make use of it. Um, mm, yeah. mm. I must say, the nesting of weavers. Oh, <laughs> weavers <laughs> with the nest that that hung over the pool. Oh, it was a lot of work, but we have to. We have to coexist. Here's another That's voice right. note. <laughs> Hi, 702. So we spotted a black-headed oriole in our garden. We, we have had a bird feeder for a long time, and usually it's weavers and the like that come. But we spotted this bigger yellow bird with a black head and identified it as a black-headed oriole and saw that it actually drinks nectar primarily. So on Sunday, we bought a nectar feeder, set it up, and it's quite a big one. But despite that, it's already empty in two days, and I had to refill it today. And the birds are all just going completely crazy for it. They love it. (laughs) So that's now a very nice addition. Um, It attracts weavers and mouse birds and bulbuls and a lot of birds. It's very nice to see. Oh, the pandemic. Thank you. Uh, The pandemic has forced us to kind of slow down and take in nature. Um, But just a a quick uh, summary of um, the virtual African bird fair. How do we get to be a part of it? Before I do that, I just, when feeding birds with nectar feeders is great, just never put artificial sweeteners in that water. Okay. It kills birds. It has to be sugar, not artificial um, sweeteners. So the Virtual African Bird Fair takes place next Friday, the 30th, mm-hmm. um, in the evening, and then the all of Saturday, the 31st. It's you know, mainly a free event. The program is on our website. We've got fantastic um, speakers. A couple of examples are Sandiswe Kula, I'm interviewing, she lives in a rural village in the Eastern Cape and she is she loves birds and there's workshops about um, birding basics, about bird photography um, and uh, many talks about you know, where to watch birds in South Africa and, and further afield. We have a quiz, we have a bit of comedy on the Friday night, we've got a fantastic um, program, both South African, African and international um, speakers. I'd really encourage people to attend the Virtual African Bird Fair. It's the first time we're holding it virtually, the 30th and 31st of July. You can go to our website, birdlife.org.za, and just follow the links from the homepage to the the Bird Fair um, webpage, and uh, there's a link there to um, will take you to register. You need to register for the Bird Fair, and you need to do so soon. We'll have several thousand people attending the Bird Fair, and I can guarantee you that you will not be disappointed. It's going to be a fantastic uh, sort of day and a bit of birds and birding. Fantastic. Uh, Mark, thank you very much. Uh, that's the CEO of BirdLife uh, SA. Go to birdlife.org.city.